Welcome to the Motherhood and Making Money podcast. I'm your host, Kerry Gillett. I'm the founder of Mubo, a social enterprise that helps more parents find work that works around them. On this podcast, we talk to inspiring parents who are making work work, whether that be in a formal and traditional career or in the world of business. Today on this week's podcast, I am joined by the fantastic Stacey Grant Cannon. Stacey is the founder of Black and Beach. She started that business back in 2016 as a fashion design lecturer. When she became a mother, she launched into her own business and the business has grown and thrived. Stacey is fantastic to talk to. She has built the business around some really solid, brilliant values and she has managed to kind of walk that fine line between growing you know, your passion and your purpose, which I think is so, so important. So to stop me blundering on, We're going to dive into this week's podcast episode. As always, if you enjoy this, please share it by either tagging us on social or sending it to your nearest and dearest friends and family. Welcome to the Motherhood and Making Money podcast. Today, we are joined by the fabulous Stacey from Black and Beach. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. How are you? Very good, thank you. Do you want to start by just telling us a bit about you and the business? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Stacey Grant Canham. I am a mother of two wild boys and I'm married to Nick. Um, and I founded Black and Beach in 2016 as a side hustle uh, while I was on mat leave with my first baby. And this is my first year being full time in the business, which is its seventh year, I think, coming up to my seventh, its seventh birthday. So been a bit of a wild ride um I was a fashion design lecturer for 11 years um so that's kind of my background and my profession so to speak what made you start it up in the first place yeah that's a good question um I was bonkers (laughs) (laughs) um I think it's a funny one because it was a very unintentional business Um, so essentially I had Clement, my eldest, and I was going to baby groups and yoga and I had some friends who were wearing this jewellery that was kind of weird looking, but really useful for breastfeeding. So it was teething or breastfeeding jewellery and it was what their babies would like play with or chew or nibble or fiddle with while they were breastfeeding or when they were teething. And I loved the idea because I have long curly hair and my son was pulling my hair all the time and pinching me and things like that. But I didn't like how they looked aesthetically. Like I'm quite a black wearing person. <laughs> um, and I was like, I could do this in a cooler way. So I made my own versions with black and wooden beads, which is where black and beach comes from. Oh. And I literally just was making them for myself and my friends. And then I sold a few. And then I think I sold enough for my first batch. I think I spent two or three hundred quid on ordering some beads for an initial order. And then I sold all those beads. And I kind of said to my husband, what do you think I should do? Should I like make more and do a bigger order or just let it go? And he was like, I think you should, you know, place a bigger order and give it a go. So I think I put a thousand pounds worth of beads on a credit card. And that was the start. Um And that was the start of all the jewellery. And essentially then it kind of transitioned because I don't know about you, but I was really, I was always 
bit political anyway but I was very politicized by having children and I just felt like what is this world um Brexit was happening Donald Trump was the president of America and repeal the eighth was happening back home in Ireland and it was really taking up a lot of my headspace and I had also become a member of the print house um in Canton at the time just because I had kind of some grant funding at work that needed to be used up and I was like oh, I might just do some screen printing for myself for fun and I did have a lot of business ideas that I kind of constantly was like no it won't work no it won't work um but I was screen printing t-shirts and things over there and then I basically came up with an idea for a t-shirt which had the slogan a mother's places in the resistance I knew Phil Morgan from kind of around doing markets and things asked him what he illustrated for me and I started screen printing that. And then I decided that I wanted to align it with abortion rights. But I was really nervous because of doing the teething jewellery and my kind of target market being new mums and stuff. So I was really not sure what to do. And then I just was like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. So that T-shirt was kind of the start of going more into T-shirts and kind of aligning myself more with my feminism, I suppose. And after that, I kind of never looked back um the kind of negativity I thought that I was going to get didn't really happen um which I think if I'd been in Ireland maybe it would have but I was kind of separate enough to kind of get away with it if that makes sense um and I kind of got to the point where I couldn't keep making the jewelry I couldn't keep up with the demand I couldn't really find anyone to help me and with the screen printing I could kind of do more and then that kind of got to a point where I was like do you know what I need to outsource this so it was kind of this transition I think from being quite like crafted and handmade into getting things manufactured based on my ideas or my concepts and designs and kind of pushing the brand in that direction but I I went back to work I was working three days a week as a lecturer and kind of doing black and beach is a bit of a side thing yeah <laughs> that's a potted history yeah, exactly. I, I mean, well, I can remember seeing online when you were like coming out of full time work, and I could not believe that you had, had been running that business to kind mm-hmm. of like what it looked like and doing that at the same time. Yeah, it was definitely to my detriment, if I'm honest, because I really burnt out. But also, you know, I don't come. I didn't. I don't come from a wealthy background. There is no um, safety net, really. So for me to give up my kind of professional job in bunny ears and kind of walk away from that felt huge. Like it was kind of my security blanket in a way, like, and I think that's even potentially why I was drawn to that as a career. I wanted to have a very steady kind of stable career um, because I'd interestingly, I suppose, and you know, any psychologists listening will be able to analyze this, but my father had a business growing up and he had a kind of catastrophic um brain injury and lost the business and was very unwell and still is and so in my head I was always entrepreneurship and running a business is so risky and you can end up with nothing so in my head that's the narrative um and it took a really really long time to change my headspace and kind of cut the cord and and kind of do this and it's still very fresh like very very fresh yeah it's really like a welcoming thing to hear though because I think particularly like part of my hatred of of how business is represented online is that it's this you know you just start it on a Tuesday you're gonna be making so much money by the next week and it's all fantastic and I'm like no you know it's not being yeah that is and not I, actually happens <laughs> it's, 
it really isn't but also I think in that Instagram motherhood space I felt a lot of people this could be an unfair stereotype but were kind of being bankrolled by a wealthier husband and that was again not the case at all I'm the breadwinner in the house and kind of have been for a number of years and so that pressure I think is possibly what led to the kind of burnout that I experienced last summer but it also you know I think it's really good to try and test an idea for a really long time before you jump in I see there's a real narrative around like it's all or nothing and to you you know I do think I've held my business back a lot actually and some of my regrets are around not jumping in a bit sooner and things like that but you know um I also think you've got to feel safe when you're making decisions and if you've come at it from a place of anxiety and fear I think sometimes you can kind of carry that vibe with you um so I try I'm trying really hard to sort of just embrace feeling really positive about this at the moment and, and it's working so yay for that what were you what, did you have like a timeline for coming out of your career or was it like the the burnout that really kind of pushed you to go like I just it's, I've got to make a decision one or the other Oh, I would constantly say, oh, if I make this much turnover or if we do this and then I'd reach the goals and I just carry on. Um, so I wasn't really. And then I had other things. I was like, oh, I'll get this kind of financially in place, like a kind of, um, you know, income protection, all these kinds of things. And that's what I need to do. And I'll work out, you know, all I had all these like rules in my head. And then basically I just completely burned out and it kind of I didn't the kind of choice was almost taken away from me um but also there's a few different conversations or things that happened and I just went from thinking about life and my business and everything is okay if something goes wrong xyz and started thinking okay what would it be like if it went right and I think that changed everything and and I my best friend was over from Ireland last week and we were having a walk she has a very different business actually but she also has a business and we're just chatting about you know different things and she was saying so like how do you think it's going and I was like well everything I kind of want to be happening is happening and she was like there you go you know like just embrace it and I think yeah jumping in has probably been a really good thing for me um and just trying to always you know I now you know I see problems now as something that you work through not I think I was very much like rigid and then I came to a point of acceptance that yes things will go wrong but I'll be able to work through them because I've been doing this for a long time now and I kind of know what I'm doing and and worst case scenario you know I'll just get a job somewhere because I'm a grafter and it's fine but, that, but that's a really that is a that's kind of like my own work ethic I think I'm always kind of like well you know try and stay on the it's gonna go right phrase but I do kind of I think have this fallback of I know that if something went really wrong in the business like I'd clean the doctor's surgery at the I'd like yeah. I'd find something to do like it yeah. would never be that bad but I think risk particularly for women in business or for anyone but I think the way that we perceive risk sometimes seems to be a bit more heightened Oh my God, I'm so risk averse um, with my personal and my family kind of, it, you know, it's all on me and I'm like, oh my God, what if we're destitute? Um, and that's really, really terrifying. And like, don't get me wrong, like there's definitely been times when I've been like, oh God, 
and you know you just have to kind of work through them um but yeah I don't know what to say about risk because I am super risk averse and then sometimes when it comes to buying because we have to do forward buying of stuff for Christmas so like the things that we'll be selling at Christmas we've already put purchase orders in place for and I think in the last few years things have just been so crazy with cost of living and interest rates on houses and covid and just one thing after another and it's i always feel like with buying you don't buy enough and then you're like oh god we've sold out of everything there's nothing left or you buy too much and then you're sitting on money that's literally stuck to a shelf so that that can be like a real learning curve um on risk and how much risk you're willing to take basically I think it's just the I think what's really good to hear from people is that risk is you know a thing for us I haven't found a super quick way of suddenly making myself be able to take bigger risks mm. I think it's really difficult I'm like I'm in a similar situation to you I've got a mortgage and stuff to pay and when I was first when we were starting the first business years ago Fred was like four months old and I was like I wanted to do it and I remember going to like try and speak to someone to try and get help. And actually, I wasn't looking for help to start the business. What I wanted help with was someone to tell me it was like a good idea because I had this baby to feed. And I was like, please just like, I, I know that this is like super risky. They like, I should just go back to the NHS. This would be like, it would be a cure all for everything. But I also knew I couldn't make that work. You know, mm. it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to shift for us. And my husband at the time was coming out of a business and he needed something to do and was really not low but like he needed something to channel some energy into and I was like right this is going to be the thing that gets us through the business is still growing it's fine but I, I remember looking at this guy I met him at a hotel who was like a business advisor and he was like well you seem to have all the bases covered and I was like yes but is this a, is this a good idea do you think like who's gonna tell me it's a good idea but like it's I just permission like, you need yeah. like you want permission or you want endorsement or something and actually like even if that guy told you it was the right or the wrong thing he might not even be the expert in it like because I've met someone from a business advisor in a really wasn't the expert. And motorway you know and they don't have a notion and you know I've paid for advice recently and I'm thinking I actually know more than you do about this like you we not you one we do undersell ourselves and our knowledge and I feel like when with my products whenever I develop a product like I just say would I wear it because if I'd wear it loads of other people wear it so for instance, the other day I went to my screen printers and we were just arranging my summer collection and I'd ordered these Ecru t-shirts, which should be like a cream color and they were just the palest yellow. And I was trying to go, well, and then I went, I would never wear this t-shirt. So we're sending them back. And I think just having the conviction around what you don't do as well as what you do do is really important because you can kind of get like, I don't know about your business, but everyone has an opinion. Oh, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. And some of the ideas are brilliant, but it's just not the right time. Or, you know, you can spread yourself too thin. And I think everyone who doesn't have a business, especially with fashion, I think, you know, lots of people love fashion and they love clothing and they have lots of thoughts about it. And again, they can be really good ideas, but they don't really understand like cash flow and how to run a business. So you have to figure out who you're going to listen to and find a way to like listen to yourself as well um and I think that's really important yeah massively I'll circle back quickly on start like when you were going in and you, you were talking about becoming more politicized since having children 
And that's something we talk about a lot in terms of like purpose. I find a lot of women that we particularly work with find this, might not know what it is in the early stages, but they find that they really want to change something or move into a different area or they're not willing to put up with a certain thing any longer after they become mothers. Really interesting kind of shift, I think, that happens. And often that will lead them into you know, following a certain train or starting a certain type of business. Is that something that you think you can identify with, with Black and Beach? Yeah, certainly. I think the abortion thing was massive because I I guess growing up in Ireland where abortion was illegal and so taboo and so not discussed um, and kind of coming out of this period in Ireland where we saw kind of like gay marriage be legalized and kind of even when I was young like you couldn't get the morning after pill from a pharmacy you had to go to a doctor which you know we don't have the NHS in Ireland so if you're on a lower income yeah the doctor is free but if you're not you pay um and all of those kind of those narratives and stuff growing up around that and then almost like looking back at that through the lens of living in the UK because I've been an adult in the UK longer than I was ever an adult in Ireland like I've lived in the UK for since 2009 I'm not going to do the math is that 13 14 years and 11 years in Wales and so like you know again back to my friend when she was here we were we always talk like would you come home blah 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 and I was like I don't know if I'd know how the system works like in the same way I'm just so used to it now anyway um yeah the abortion thing was really happening and it was really you know the the kind of grassroots work of feminists and activists was kind of going on to kind of build towards the referendum and I was really conscious of that and I was also really conscious that it was kind of my even though I've never needed to have an abortion there's you know there's still time I'm still a fertile woman I think um I sort of felt it was very influential on me as a feminist and what my upbringing was like and what formed me and I also kind of wanted to talk about it to British people in a way like because I think there was like a kind of a condescending tone at times and a sense of like people said to me I don't know how you could live in a country that has no choice and I was like well you realize that you live in the same country because in Northern Ireland women still don't have access to abortion provision you know like it's the UK don't be so they're kind of blind to what's happening um and these women are having abort well they are having abortions they're just coming over here to have them um you know Ryanair was basically <laughs> like pro- providing the flights it was just like an, a mental situation so anyway so I think when you become a mum and you realize you know my children have been very much wanted and and planned and I adore them and that you know goes without saying but it's hard like being pregnant is hard changing your whole life is hard and these people rely on you forever um the idea that someone would be forced to do that through lack of access to healthcare or money, just mainly the money side of it, because like middle-class women have always been able to access abortion. Yeah. It's kind of the intersectional side of it that really bothered me. And I became aware of Abortion Support Network who were a UK based charity that were basically helping Irish women on the margins. So, you know, the smallest grant they ever gave was a fiver, which is mental to think about. 
um, and they were helping kind of women who maybe were asylum seeking so they might not have had the right papers to travel and all this kind of stuff and I was like this can't be going on this is crazy so I think I was I was very conscious I suppose of it all my life but then becoming a mother I just thought like this has to be a choice mm-hmm. um, and the idea that you know the majority of people who have abortions are mothers because they know what is involved um so yeah I definitely became more politicized but you know also with Brexit being a European in this country that just broke my heart and my husband has lived in Portugal and Poland and all over Europe and he was heartbroken and we were just so sad about it all and just kind of this populist stuff going on so yeah all of it definitely impacted me and I think underlying and underpinning a lot of it as well is you know fashion is a problematic industry it's very polluting it's very bad for the environment and I think we've come a long way around kind of representation and and body image and things like that in fashion but you know 10 years ago all my students were writing their dissertations on um size zero kind of you know and airbrushing and things like that um so there's a lot like so I really wanted to kind of think about what a feminist fashion brand could look like and I think that's where the political and the fashion kind of came together and my feminism and that's kind of definitely on the, the road I'm going down now yeah and how important do you think it's been for you and the business to kind of use that to build a community whether online or in person around what you do to develop not only the message but the business in general I think it was never like a business plan I've never had a business plan really it's all happened very organically and I do hate this word because it's overused but it is really authentic it's basically just I say to my friends like I have the best job in the world because I get to combine all the things I'm interested in which is like what a gift like and even now I'm really interested in like now that I've started to kind of build a team and I have this little office and stuff it's like you know what does a feminist workplace look like you know what does that actually mean is that about like I have in my employees contracts they can have flexible they can apply for flexible working from day one you know there is like period products here um you know and we kind of can work around what people need as much as possible as long as the work gets done I'm happy so I'm really interested in the product side of it and what the outward facing bits are but I'm also really interested in how we deal with like our supply chains and who we work with and you know I have like really grand visions of what could be um you know 10 years down the road and they I think they're really exciting so yeah it is important but I don't think Black and Beach would be I don't know like would Black and Beach even exist if it wasn't done in this way like I think it just is what it is because it's me basically and it's just me just pushing along with my interests and my experiences and I think it's like that thing isn't it the most what do they say like the most um oh most powerful things are often the most personal because just if it's personal to you it's probably personal to lots of people and there's a universality is what I guess I'm trying to say around those things and I think yeah I'm sure I'm not the only woman who's interested in fashion who cares about who's making their clothes and what their clothes say about them so yeah I think it's good you know seeing you as a brand I think develop online and just I know from like wearing the clothes you know the amount of people that come up to me who recognize like something's gone on and they'll go oh 
from her and I'm like oh yeah yeah like you have little and I know other brands you know that I would say in a in a similar vein if I wear something and someone will come over and go is that so I'm like yes yes it is it's like being part of this little Insider. secret yeah. yeah little like community and we're like I know that you're my type of person like you That's went true. I bought this <laughs> yeah I don't see that much stuff in the wild like my friends are often reporting back oh we saw such and such a person in such and such a thing and they I'm like you know I'm so flattered and it's like a real privilege but I don't see that much stuff myself um but when I do I I'm like oh at Green Man last year there was a lady wearing one of my Liberté tees and I kind of gave her a thumbs up I don't think she had a clue who I was, I was <laughs> cringe. you have to get yourself a special badge yeah. <laughs> I made these <laughs> they're mine <Yeah. coughs> excuse me what kind of plans have you got you mentioned you'd have to give us your big plans but what are your like plans for the the brand or for yourself like in the in the coming year or so if you've got anything that you're really trying to bring into fruition yeah I mean the main thing that I'm trying to bring into fruition is making Q4 which is um November December the one that comes before November is that October, yeah. <laughs> October November December less stress end of the year months the, the end of the year Christmas rush is just it's just too much to be honest by the time Christmas comes I'm like god help us all um and I do feel that's a real juggle with the obligations that kids have of like Christmas concerts and all these different things that they've got going on and yeah I want that to be less stressful and that often comes down to sort of staffing and we don't really need loads of staff for the rest of the year and it becomes this real like oh how do we do this so I'm already kind of putting some stuff in place to get people on board for that um I think this year we've said is like all about systems so in the past I wouldn't have been able to do this honestly it would have been such a nightmare to schedule it because I would have been working three days and then have like one day for black and beach and I you know and I would have been like run running and racing and my schedule would be a mess and my calendar would be screwed up so I think it's just getting like letting the dust settle I've got this little office now um I've got one or two team members I'm saying one or two because one is leaving this week um to go traveling don't worry we haven't oh. her. She <laughs> she's happy she's going traveling she needs to um so kind of building this this foundational stuff that has never really been in place and kind of continuing to sort of yeah make sales and kind of keep customers happy and developing our Christmas range which is really important to us like our knitwear um is a bit of a thing now for Christmas so making sure all of that's ready and organized and then I think once we kind of get through this year I think next year it's maybe about developing some other bits and pieces um product wise and just yeah I want to do it kind of organic and slow and steady and getting things right I think sometimes people say oh if you got investment what would you do you know and I'm like I don't think I'd do anything different than I'm doing I would just probably have some more expertise but then I've realized like sometimes the people who think they're the experts really aren't um very distrustful thing I, I think <laughs> and I say that as someone who does consulting and sometimes I'm that person that goes in but I think I spend half of my time going no one is going to know this better than you know yeah I get why you know people there are there's a certain 
you know knowledge that some people can bring into you but you have to take that with a grain of it has to be applied to something that intrinsically no one knows better than you so there's then the time it takes to decipher how you would apply that knowledge and that those systems um and interesting then that you you know said about investment we took investment for mubo which is a really difficult thing to do because we're non-profit so no one can profit no one makes any money from giving us any money basically so it's like mm. selling your soul to try and get anyone to to get you some money to grow but investment i think for businesses is also seen as this you know holy grail thing that we go and do or you just throw more money in and it gets it to move and investment really for me is I was liken it to um, someone setting the treadmill to 13 and just telling you to get on. You've suddenly got to take your business from a, a kind of pace that you are used to and you recognize to anyth- anything goes, you know, and you've got to yeah. jump and be willing to move with it. And that can be a really, really hard adjustment when you, you know, you're really seeing the finance as the almost answer to any kind of problem that's going to come up. Well, we'll just throw some money at it, but then there's a whole different kind of pace and problems I will say that sometimes come up just from also taking that on and dealing with what happens afterwards so I think yeah I mean I I have been told it's like having a boss and most people get into the small business world because they don't want to have a boss or they want to be the boss um I think I'd be happy to have like a partnership type setup but yeah I think like you say you're the one who knows how it works and I also think a lot of people seem like the word investment gets thrown around so much and some people definitely take it to fix their cash flow problems. And I think that can mask just problems in their business model or in how things are working that that will just excel that will that problem won't go away. It's just masked. So you still have to kind of get to the bottom of it. Um, I mean, I'm really interested in like what crowdfunding would look like because we do have such a community. And I love the idea of people being our partners in that way, like in a, in having people buying into what we're about and working kind of to support us, knowing that we kind of have a, a mission and a plan. I mean, you were saying, what are my plans? Like we, I really want to do the B Corp certification and we have been, I, we is me, I've been working really hard on that and I need to finalize the paperwork for that. But that is really important to me. And I think, what that kind of does is holds us accountable and it can kind of help me build an evidence base for what we're doing. Cause often, you know, for example, I saw this brand the other day shouting about how they just gotten got certified, which is um, a certification for organic cotton. And I was thinking all our cotton is got, and we never really mention it, you know? So I think just being able to kind of be accountable and measure our impact is really key. And I'm really I'm really that's why the systems bit I guess is really important getting that baseline stuff in place me being here all the time kind of freeing up um people to help and support with getting that through because I know I know it will go through it's just finishing off the kind of paperworky bits um so I would I'm really excited about that if that does come off in the next few years um yeah yeah that will come off I think and that's a great you know, follows along with that kind of purpose train, I suppose. For yeah. You. And things like that can be difficult when you're not just when you talk about investment or speaking to people about business in general. You know, if if you are getting advice for anyone and they don't really get the values or purpose or mission behind what you do, and you're sometimes looking at it in a very business on paper yeah 
kind of method, then sometimes some of that is lost. And I we get that all I, I we I get that all the time with like choosing to have us as a social enterprise and everyone's like, well, just solve all your problems, just sell more products. I'm like, no. <laughs> That's like a different model. My husband used to run an award-winning not-for-profit social enterprise and it's a really different type of thing and the challenge and what like his business was profitable and didn't rely on grants or anything they were very self-sustaining which I think is why they won awards because that model can often rely on a lot of grant funding and stuff um but ultimately he got paid the same and it wasn't that much and I think it was like oh this is a bit tricky um but it's so rewarding and like I think you know you were I think about something that he said to me when he was in the thick of it was that his thing that he felt most positive about his business was employing other people like giving freelancers work it does feel amazing to be able to kind of like give people work and help support them in what they their ambitions are and yeah being able to pay people to do to like I'm a living wage um employer so being able to pay people fairly for what they do and create a nice work environment is really part of the mission and I think that thing about purpose is is so key like I'm definitely profit is definitely not my number one metric at all it's about like I go back to this Maya Angelou quote which is success is liking yourself liking what you do and liking how you do it and I think there's loads of ways we could cut corners and um make things cheaper and probably sell them for the same price and make more profit and I'm just not interested in doing it like I don't want to it's not about profit at any cost I want to put things out in the world that I'm proud of I know will last I know are good quality and that people will use and enjoy and feel part of something and I'm not really gonna do it in a cheaper way just to sell stuff yeah that's it I think it gives you a lens that's something kind of like I've always said is it gives you a, a different lens for making decisions yeah I think when you're very kind of tuned into that kind of thing and I've been on tons of calls lately where I'm like I'm just not willing to compromise the kind of the really key values that built it in order to make it work in a way that works for somebody else like yes we could do this quicker or we could make more money over there but in in essence they these four or five things that we're just not willing to compromise on are never going to go away and so yeah. Sometimes by looking at everything or looking at things that come my way through the let through that kind of lens, I'm like, yeah, that's a definite yes for us. That's a clear no. Like it just yeah. gives you that guide it's on your me. brand pillars, I guess, isn't it? It's like, should I be doing this if it doesn't align with these things that are core? And if they if it doesn't, like there's no point even entertaining it because the good is the enemy of the great, you know, like just wasting time on sort of shite basically is just not the way forward you don't have the time to kind of mess around and if it's not going to push things in the direction that you want them to go yeah and I I think that in a way like listening to you talk about investors and calls with all these people I don't even want the noise no. like I'm trying so hard to focus on my own vision and kind of my own like what would this look like in five years and ten years because it's always been very short term yeah Um, and now I'm starting to excuse me like say things out loud to my close friends of like well actually this is what my dream could be and it's really like big and you just think oh wow like could that actually come come good like maybe it could because all the other smaller bits are starting to come good so 
yeah it's exciting and I think if you had someone else in your corner being like no let's do it like this instead it could really derail derail yeah. where you're going with stuff stops that flow we don't want to stop that flow so yeah oh well, it's been lovely chatting to you I could have done it for about seven hours with a chin but um, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us we'll be sharing all your contact details couldn't think of the word you're where people can find you but I'm sure they know where they can find you on the show notes for our podcast